0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live Podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. And I've uh, been keeping up with where you've covered and And I know that Brandon has done a good job covering those passages, and then he leaves me, verse 18. (laughs) Oh, I knew it was coming anyway. During the last few weeks, you've noticed that when you come to know Jesus, the old way of life, you put aside, there's a lot of things you take off, like old dirty clothes, anger and malice and all of that stuff. And then you put on the life of Christ. You have been saved. You've been forgiven. He, His Spirit lives in you. And you put on kindness and, and love and, and all of these attributes. So you, when you come to know Jesus, you don't stay the same. He doesn't warm you over in a microwave. He gives you a new life. Amen? Amen. You begin to see that change in different places. But where... It's one of the most difficult places to live the Christian life. You know why? At church, you can fool people. You can look spiritual. You can leave, and nobody will know the difference. At work, you can be okay. But when you claim to be a child of God and you follow Jesus, one of the most difficult places to live it is at home. And the reason is those people know you, don't they? You can't fake them out. You can't fool them. They know you. Well, Paul is saying, take your Christianity home. And today, we're going to look at the husband-wife relationship. Next Sunday, we will look at the parent-child relationship. And then he's going to say, then you take your, you take your Christianity to work. And it, it shows you different there. Now, today, we're going to talk about marriage. Oh, goody. There's a lot of stuff written about marriage, a lot of tapes, a lot of uh, videos, a lot of books. And there's a lot of humor about marriage. It has to be humor or you're not going to make it. One man wrote, my wife and I were blissfully happy for 20 years and then we met. <laughs> Some of you may have never heard of Red Skelton. Red Skelton, back in my day when I was a kid, was a comedian, a clean comedian, I might add. Uh, He said some funny things about marriage. I I wrote down a few of them. He said, two times a week, we go to a nice restaurant, have a little beverage, good food and companionship. She goes on Tuesday, I go on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) He said, we also sleep in separate beds. Hers is in California, mine is in Texas. I asked my wife where she wanted to go for her anniversary. She said, Somewhere I haven't been in a long time, so I suggested the kitchen. (laughs) He said, We always hold hands. If I let go, she shops. (laughs) The last fight was my fault, though. My wife said, What's on the TV? And I said, Dust. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this was actually in a church bulletin. I read it just like it was printed. At the Ladies' Aid Society meeting, many interesting articles were raffled off. Every member brought something she no longer needed. Many members brought their husbands. (laughs) They probably would raffle us off if they could. Some of us have got too many miles on us. They can't get much for us anymore. Let me read this passage to you. Two simple verses. Verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to strengthen marriages today. I pray that husbands would love their wives and that wives would love and respect and follow their husbands. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen families because we know what's ripping the fabric of this nation is the disintegration of the family. And so we pray that today there might be at least one marriage, one family that's encouraged and restored, strengthened. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing you see when you take your Christianity home is submissive wives in verse 18. When it comes to the inspiration of Scripture, most Christian women believe in it except when they come to Colossians 3.18 or Ephesians 5 or 1 Peter 3. And Paul's status suddenly changes in their mind. He goes from the anointed apostle or God's chosen apostle to male chauvinist pig. (laughs) Part of that is pastor's fault because a lot of times pastors have misinterpreted this and misapplied this, and people will take this and think that a woman is basically a slave in her home and that the man's the boss no matter what, and that is not what the Scripture says. And so there will probably be people that watch this later on television, and they're going to be mad when they start hearing about a wife being submissive to her husband. But I want you to know that Christianity, Christianity, Jesus has done more to elevate the position of women than any other religion in the world. In fact, it was such a radical concept. Why did Paul all of a sudden tell women who had no rights anyway in the New Testament in this time and some Middle East countries today, you see they're still treated like property. They have no rights, no say, no vote, nothing. Why did Paul take that and then say, I want you to be submissive to your husband? That's like me telling you right now, would you sit down? You're already seated. Sit down. Well, why all of a sudden would he tell wives who had to be submissive anyway to be submissive to their husbands? Well, I believe the key is in the grammar. Because the word submit is in the middle voice, which says, because you now follow Jesus, because he has changed your heart, the Holy Spirit lives in you, I'm asking you to willfully yourself submit to your husband's leadership. In other words, they had to be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside you've heard the story about the little boy kept sitting up and down and his his mother finally said, son, I said, sit down. And he said, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. (laughs) Well, Paul is saying, I want you to sit down on the inside. I want you to submit on the inside also. Richard Foster said, Paul made decision makers out of those who were forbidden to make decisions. They didn't have any choices. They didn't have any re- opportunity to make a decision. And what an incredible opportunity for the Christian wife in Paul's time. Now, where the hang up comes is in the word submit. It is a military word that means to arrange under rank. We do not submit to another person based on their on their personality or their ability but the responsibility that they've been given. If you were in the military, you heard the term, you don't salute the, the uniform. You salute the uniform, not the person in the uniform, because you may not like the person in the uniform. And you know what? God has made, arranged the world that all of us are under some kind of authority. Whether you like it or not, if there's no authority in this world, there's going to be nothing but chaos. So we're all living under authority. If you have a job and you don't own the business, you work for an employer. You're under his authority. We're told in Colossians, and we'll see this in two weeks, that you are to submit to their leadership. We live as citizens under government in Romans 13:1 says we're to submit to the laws of the government until they tell us to violate God's word and they're getting dangerously close. When they tell us that we can no longer meet, we're going to meet. I'm just telling you now. They don't have and I I'm so thankful we've got leadership in the state of Texas. Everybody ought to live in Texas. They just ought to. But I'm thankful that they understand what the First Amendment's about and and that we have the freedom to assemble together. But we still have to submit to the laws of the land. I still have to drive the speed limit (laughs) when I think it's entirely too slow. Church members, they follow the spiritual leaders in the congregation, Hebrews 13, 17. Children obey their parents, Ephesians 6, 1. And then it talks about husbands and wives. Why has God arranged submission in our life? And all of us have it to some degree. Well, let's look at the results of submission. We don't like it. We don't like authority in our life. But ladies, before you react to this command or to this idea, I want you to remember something. And men, I want you to listen to this. Whenever God grants authority or responsibility, whenever God grants authority or responsibility, it's always, no exceptions, always for the blessing and protection of those under the authority, never for the advantage of the ones in authority. In other words, God didn't say, "Men, you're the head of this home just so you'll have all the perks of being the boss. No, you are the head of the home and God's gonna hold you responsible for those people under you. See, authority is for those under. I wish our government would learn that. Most of them, not all of them. Some of them are in it for the right reason. They're not all bad. But we have those who think that the government exists for them, and they get wealthy off of the people, when really the government is the people. Now, I'm I'm making this political. I don't mean to sound like it, but I just want you to understand if they... If they further their own interest at the expense of those under them, they are corrupt, and they're going to answer to God for it one day. The same is true with men who mislead their families. It's not for you to be the big shot boss macho man. It's for you to protect those under you. That's why God gave you that authority. You got that? Well... To be an authority does not mean greater perks, but rather a greater responsibility. So what do you learn? What do we learn by submission? First of all, submitting to authority teaches us obedience to God. The bottom line issue in the Christian life is not how we feel. It's not doctrine. It's obedience to the Lord. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Be obedient to the Lord. Yet obedience is an attitude that does not come naturally, does it? Were all of you born obedient? For some reason, my parents had to teach that to me. See... Obedience must be learned, and so it is with our relationship with God. And if you can't be obedient or follow leadership or authority here on this earth, regardless of where it is, you'll never be obedient to God. We learn that. One of the most fascinating verses describes Jesus. Hebrews Hebrews 5, 8 Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Does that imply Jesus is inferior to God? No, he is God. He's the second person of the Godhead. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all equal. And yet the Bible clearly teaches us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus submitted, followed the leadership of the Father to save us. Listen to what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In the same way, Marriage is the union between two equals. Before a man and woman are married, they're equal. Man has no responsibility or authority or whatever you want to call it over the woman, but when they get married, all of a sudden they become a unit, and the man is held accountable to God to lead that family. Now, I can hardly wait for this to go on television For somebody to misinterpret this has nothing to do with equality because Galatians tells us that there is no male or female, that in the eyes of God, we are are equal, but we've been given different responsibilities. We have been. We're equal in the eyes of God, but given different responsibilities, and yet today, our society in its rebellion against God is trying to make every woman the same as a man and a man the same as a woman, I guess. Equally, in fact, I'll give it to you, ladies, probably most of you are smarter than men. <laughs> so there's nothing about equality, there's nothing about ability has everything to do with what God has ordained that we do. Submitting to authority also provides orderliness. Can you believe, can you even believe that we have people today that don't want to have police? we'll just encourage everyone to do the right thing. And that's working so well right now, isn't it? Can you imagine if your company that you work for had no supervisors? Can you imagine if there was no IRS? Let's just send in what we want to send in. And there'll be plenty of money for everything, won't there? (laughs) I know that sounds good, but you wouldn't like it. In every organization, there has to be someone held accountable. And the first institution that God created was the family between a man and a woman in marriage. Period. Submitting to authority also frees us from unnecessary worry. Folks, is there ever a time when you're glad you're not in charge? If If you've got responsibility... And, and all of us have some responsibility somewhere. Some of us have more than others. But sometimes, aren't you glad you can you can go? I, I can relate to the pastor one day who just left his office and went down to the railroad station and just watched trains go by. And they said, what are you doing? He said, I just wanted to go somewhere where I could just see something that would run without me having to push it. <laughs> just on its own, you know, I... Someone's defined worry as assuming responsibility for things God never intended for you to have. An authority, authority and responsibility go hand in hand. You cannot have authority and not have responsibility. And sometimes, ladies, isn't it nice when you say, "You know what"? My husband's got to make the final say and he'll have to live with the decision and the family will live with the decision and God will hold him accountable. So sometimes it frees you from unnecessary worry. And ladies, I know your husband's not perfect. And sometimes he's going to make some bad decisions. But God promises to protect the woman. Genesis 20, Peter uses this example of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham and his wife were traveling through some dangerous territory, and Abraham got afraid that King Abimelech was going to kill him and take Sarah, so he instructed Sarah to lie. Well, that was a real brilliant decision, wasn't it? but God supernaturally protected her. There's a balancing truth. If your husband ever asks you to do something that is not biblical or that is a violation of God's word or is sin or is wrong, don't do it. Acts 5.29 says we must obey God rather than men. But most of the time, I I think that's probably the exception and not the rule. Maybe it isn't. Submitting to authority also gives us direction in life. God often communicates the direction for a family, where to live, what church to attend, how to discipline children through the husband. I didn't say always, but most of the time, a husband is not to be a dictator. He will value the opinions and insights of his wife, and hopefully they'll come to the conclusion together, but but there has to be someone give direction. This idea of co-leadership, this doesn't work. Because there's there's going to come a time when the the leaders don't agree. Submission does not imply inferiority. I've already mentioned that. You don't have to worry about that, ladies. You are equal with him in, in God's eyes. Submission is not absolute. Did you know that you're going to see the word children obey your parents in verse 20? That's not the same word as submit in verse 18. Submission is a voluntary thing. I'm going to follow your leadership. I'm going to um, allow you to lead in my life too. Obey though on the other hand is a command to be absolute obedience. That's not what the husband has. Submission is to be exercised in a loving relationship, authority from the husbands to be exercised in a loving relationship is what I meant to say. Well, my husband doesn't even know the Lord. My husband is difficult. Well First Peter three can tell you, now let me tell you something. submission does not mean that if you're in an abusive situation, you stay in there and continue to be abused. That's not what that means. But God can bring your husband to the Lord. I know your husband has a hard head, but God has a harder head. And he can bring him to the Lord. You start praying for him. And some of you have been praying for him for many years. And and ladies, I have a prayer for you. I don't know who wrote it, but maybe you need to pray this from time to time. Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand a man, for love to forgive him, patience for his moods, because, Lord, if I pray for strength, I'll just beat him to death. <laughs> I know you feel that way from time to time. But let's look at verse 19. Excuse me let, me, let me back up. Not only is there the results of submission, but I want to call your attention to one other thing the respect and submission. Now it's interesting, when you look at the passages in the New Testament, In Titus 2, 4, it talks about wives loving their husbands, but then you take the Ephesians 5 passage and the 1 Peter 3 passage, and it says to submit to your husband, but it doesn't say to love him. That doesn't mean that you don't, but both times the word respect comes in. Respect is a crucial element in biblical submission. A godly wife will work at showing her husband respect, acceptance, and appreciation for anything she can possibly affirm. And then she responds to his attempts at leadership. It will lead to greater unity and intimacy. Your husband is not perfect, and it's a lot easier to find his faults than it is to find his strengths. You know what? Uh, when you're a leader, and a lot of you have natural-born leadership abilities, when you're a leader, it is hard to follow another leader. I can tell you that sometimes I sit under on committees of various things where pastor's involved, and I sit there, and I'm just as frustrated as I can be but they have been appointed the leader of that committee and I'm going to follow them. It's a lot easier for me to point out, well, you could be doing this and you could be doing that and you could be doing this, but if I can find the strengths what they're doing, I think, okay, I can follow this. The same is true in a marriage. Your husband's not 100% bad. (laughs) He's got some good traits, When is the last time that you thanked your husband for what he's done for you? When have you encouraged him lately? I want to tell you, as a man, as a grown-up little boy, like every other man in this room, a grown-up little boy who all the time when they were little kids hanging upside down on the monkey bars wanting the attention of the girls... As a man, as a husband, it doesn't matter to me what any of you ever say to me. It does, but I'll tell you what holds more weight than anyone else in this room is when my wife tells me something good. That's all that matters to me. So save your breath if you're going to tell me something bad. It doesn't bother me. It does. You know what I'm saying? Your husband's the same way. Well, I've been married to him for 150 years. He ought to know it by now. Yeah, but he doesn't get tired of hearing it. He doesn't. A man wants to hear his wife approve him, thank him, encourage him. That's what respect is. You can chew him up and tear him down. It's not hard to tear down a man. He may think he's tough, and you may have that old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true with your husband. I'm telling you, it's not. Didn't I come back on a good day? I'm gonna time this better next year. Let's look at sacrificing husbands. Verse 19, did you know when this letter was written that in the Greek culture, husbands had no family obligations? None. They didn't have to do anything. And the idea that a husband would have a responsibility in the home, that was a revolutionary idea, and Christianity changed that. A wife's submission to her husband is a reflection of her love for Christ. A husband's sacrificial love for his wife is a reflection of his love for Christ. And it's important to recognize something, men. Not one time in the Scripture does it say, exercise your authority over your wife. Never says that. Not one time. Rule over her. Exercise your authority over your wife. No, it always says, love your wife. That's Christ loved the church, Ephesians puts it. Hmm. You see, there's two sides to this verse 19 there's a positive and a negative. Positive is love, the negative is don't be embittered. So, first of all, husbands, what are you told? You are to practice biblical love what is biblical love it's not a feeling it's not a feeling you know know what we do in this in this society we whatever it means we fall in love and we get married but that's not the way it is in the bible it's totally opposite married is the basis for love not love the basis for marriage The biblical kind of love is selfless love. It's not a feeling. It's a self-sacrificing, caring for the other person that seeks its highest good. Romantic love focuses on what that person can give me. But biblical love focuses on what I can do for that person. That's this kind of love. It's totally opposite of what we're taught. And we use love so... Casually, I love my dog. I love ice cream. I love baseball. I love hunting. I love my church. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my car. I love, I love, 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 love. We don't, we don't even get the concept. It's all about emotion. But biblical love, it's all focused on the other person. So let me share with you some of the components of biblical love. The first one is the main component is commitment. You can't command a feeling, but you can command a commitment to act a certain way. We fall in love and marry our lovers, but in Paul's day, most marriages were arranged by parents. And they were married and they learned to love one another because they committed to one another. Paul is saying, "Love the wife you're married to." It applies to every Christian husband. Now, there's some good news and bad news here. The good news is, some of you might say, "Well, you know, I just don't have any feelings for them anymore." Well, the reason is you have quit, uh, you quit investing in them. You see, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasures are where your investments are. And when you don't invest in that other person, self-sacrifice for that other person and give to that other person, your heart's sure not gonna go there. So we think, well, I, I just don't have feelings. The scripture says you need to love her. Love comes by action. If you obey the feelings are going to follow, the bad news is loving your wife becomes a matter of obedience to God. You're commanded to love your wife. Well, you, 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 you don't have to live with her every day. Love your wife. I've done so much for her, she never does anything for me. Love your wife. But you, if you knew how this woman treats me, love your wife. But But love your wife, he says. He didn't give you any excuse. Love for my wife is a command which I'm responsible to obey. And if I blame my wife for the problems in my marriage, Christ is going to come right back to you. And here's what he's going to say. My church hasn't always been the most beautiful bride, but I still love her with a committed love. That's how you must love your wife. Don't you just love that, guys? I notice y'all are just full of amens today. <laughs> the second part of biblical love is the main action is self-sacrifice. Ephesians 5:25. Biblical love means sacrificing for your wife. It means dying to yourself and her highest good. Yeah, you may not have to die for her, literally lay down your life. But have you thought about just some opportunities around the house? You have opportunities. I read in the Reader's Digest of a wife who had been married to a coach for 34 years and had learned that a ball game always has top priority. But one particular frustrating day, she burst out, Frank, you'd miss my funeral to go to a ball game. And he calmly said, Roberta, whatever made you think I'd schedule your funeral on a day of a game. (laughs) He hasn't been seen since, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, when's the last time? When's the last time you surprised your wife by doing something kind and unexpected? Maybe it's just listening to her concerns about something going on in her life when you'd rather be watching the ball game or reading the newspaper. Maybe she needs help with the kids or cleaning up the kitchen, but she doesn't want to ask. So you see the need, get up and do it without being asked. Perhaps she would be encouraged if you stopped what you were doing and just prayed with her about a difficult situation she's facing. She always needs you to take the time to understand her needs and verbally assure her of your love. She's that grown-up little girl who never gets over the need for romantic things. Earl Wilson said, an exhaustive study shows that no woman has ever shot her husband while he was doing the dishes. (laughs) Listen to what this lady wrote. My parents had not been out together in quite some time. One Saturday, as mom was finishing the dinner dishes, my father stepped up behind her. Would you like to go out, girl? Not even turning around, my mother quickly said, oh, yes, I'd love to. They had a wonderful evening. It wasn't until the end of that that dad confessed. His question had literally been directed to the family dog lying near mom's feet on the kitchen floor. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, guys. You turned into a frog again. You kissed at the wedding, and now you're a frog again. You need to do some nice things for your wife. Commitment. Commitment is a main component. I mentioned that. It it blows my mind why girls today will move in with their boyfriends when there's no commitment. I was going to say, what are you thinking? The point is they're not thinking. You see, marriage is a commitment. It's not a feeling. You go in it and you burn the ships behind you. We're going to make this work. I'm I'm committed to making this work. A third part of biblical love is godliness in the one loved. We want our wives to be everything God wants them to be. We don't want to be the hindrance to what God wants a woman to be in the Lord. Godliness. A couple of men were sitting around with some friends discussing the pros and cons of marriage and one couple was asked how they'd managed to stay together for 45 years. The husband simply said, I know her like a book. Another man said, you may know her like a book, but I bet you never know what page she's on. You know, you want your wife to grow biblical love. It's not feelings. They come, and they're a great part of it. But it's a life of commitment. And then the the negative side of that verse, it's not negative in the sense it's bad, But it says, do not be embittered against them. We need to practice biblical forgiveness. You know, nothing destroys a relationship like unforgiveness and like bitterness. And if you keep a record, you get historical. Some people get historical, not hysterical. Historical. They can remember every bad thing that's ever happened to them. Hebrews 12, 15 calls it a root. It takes root and it it helps you focus on all the shortcomings of everything in their life. You'll start seeing all the bad stuff and it expresses itself in anger and vindictiveness and being cross or harsh. Paul says, you don't have to look far to find all the faults of your wife, but you're to love her in spite of those, and don't be embittered toward her. They asked a grandmother who just celebrated 50 years of marriage. The granddaughter said, Grandmother, what what do you attribute being able to live with grandpa for 50 years? And she said, I decided on my wedding day that I would make a list of 10 of my husband's faults, your grandfather's faults, for the sake of marriage that I would overlook. And granddaughter said, well, Grandmother, will you tell me some of those faults? And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I never did get around to making the list, but whenever my husband did something that made me hop and mad, I'd say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the (laughs) 10. That's forgiveness. And the key to overcoming bitterness is to recognize that your wife is not perfect. And next time you doubt your wife's judgment, look who she married Come on. You see, you probably have some disappointed expectations in your wife, and she's got disappointed expectations in you. But if you can't learn to forgive and you can't focus on the positive qualities in their life, it's never going to work. Take your Christianity home, take it home. A little boy sat through a Sunday school class and learned about the time that Jesus went to a wedding and turned the water into wine. After church, while they were having lunch, dad asked the little boy, what'd you learn from that story? The little boy thought for a moment and he said, if you're gonna have a wedding, make sure Jesus is there. If you're gonna have a marriage, you need to make sure Jesus is there. None of us are perfect. There's no perfect husbands in here. No perfect wives. No perfect marriages. But we can all make the commitment to continue to improve. And so some of you have never received Jesus. I want to tell you, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you can't do any of this biblical love stuff because it only comes from the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It's God's love in your heart. He puts His love in your heart. It's the only way you can love your spouse unconditionally that way is through the, the biblical love that God puts in our heart. And if you've never received Christ, you're just a religious person, or you just go to church, it doesn't mean anything. You can go to church till you die and still not ever have a life that's changed. You turn from your sin. You admit it. God, I am a sinner. I am separated from you. I cannot save myself. I'm going to hell when I die. I know it. And I ask you now to forgive me, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross because I believe he died for my sin and he rose again. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to save me right now. If you've never done that, you can do that. If you're watching online, you can do that now. You hit that connect button. Let somebody pray with you. you. You ask the Lord to forgive you, and He will change your life, and He will give you a new life and a new love that you never knew before. Would you bow your heads with me? And while your heads are bowed, those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, I'm talking to a lot of Christians today. Would you just pray for your husband or your wife? Some of you need a church. If this is the place God wants you to be, you can indicate that today on that communication card, or you can come up here after the service and talk to one of these pastors. You say, you know, I need a church home, and I want to be part of a congregation of believers. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe there's something else on your heart. Right now, would you pray? Ladies, would you pray for your husbands? Thank God for him. Husbands, would you pray for your wives? I know some of you are divorced. Some of you have had marriages that failed. You are not any less of a person. You're not a second-class christian god loves you as much as he ever has he just says to you put a stake down right now and start living for me and honor me with the way that you make your choices heavenly father we all stand condemned we did all stand condemned until you by your grace saved us and now we stand clean before you we pray for those that need jesus as their savior I pray even now someone would come to know you and commit their life to you. I've asked you, Lord, to restore relationships, restore husbands and wives. I pray there'd be a love between them that would grow as they together honor you and serve you. God, please bring them close to you and to each other. I pray you would restore relationships. Lord, I pray for those that have, may feel like they have messed up their life and I ask you to show them how much you still love them and that you care and that you still have a plan and a purpose for them. And so, Lord, we pray for those couples that are living together without any commitment that you would show them that that's just gonna lead to heartache, that they need to commit themselves to you and then commit themselves under you to each other. Thank you, Lord, for creating the family. We ask you to bring families to you to heal relationships. Pray for forgiveness that people would forgive one another and you would heal relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.